Hello and welcome, and before we get to the episode of this podcast, whether that's the Hallowed Histories or the Constant Reader, we would like to draw your attention to something we might think you will enjoy. Slow burn horror is a genre in which the chills come quietly and with subtlety, but with the force of a gut punch. A website devoted to this, slowburnhorror.com, has been running for some time, and we would love you to support their forthcoming anthology of short stories called Slow Burn, an anthology of household horror, which features stories by new and upcoming writers, including friend of the podcast Catherine Lee. A lot of these writers started out of the University of East Anglia's famous creative writing department, a place close to our own hearts. And if you're listening to this before the 3rd of October, please go and pledge to the Kickstarter at slowburnhorror.com. And if you listen to it after that date, why not just pick up a copy of the book? It's sure to give you something to look over your shoulder for this autumn. And now, on with the show. When we left our last episode, we had seen how the storm that started with a few breezes over the Azores had whipped itself into a furious maelstrom that had pummeled the Irish and Scottish coast in the winter of 1953. Passenger liners had been sunk, coastlines had been given back to the sea, and many lives were lost. However, the torment did not end there. The storm rolled down the east coast of England like a wrecking ball before it reached East Anglia. We heard last time how a community in Hunstanton had been smashed by the waves and the winds, and how the town of King's Lynn had flooded, letting water seep into the low, flat lands of the Broads forcing people to spend a cold, miserable night on their roofs, as they wondered if the water would ever stop, and dawn would come. However, the flood of 1953 wasn't over yet, and its scars would be felt for decades to come. My name is Richard Shepherd, and this is Hallowed Histories. Sea Pauling is one of the many gems on the North Norfolk coast. It's quiet, picturesque, with a long sandy beach that is very rarely crowded even at the height of summer. It exudes and attracts quiet. The empty spaces and long low horizons are a fine place to walk, think and just enjoy nature. Part of this is due to the man-made sea defences that pepper the beach, calming the sea and helping to give the wayfarer the impression that here everything has stood still, unchanging. The sand dunes that separate the beach from the land break the wind a little, creating a calm silence that is almost eerie, even now. However, Sea Pauling has a history, and an exciting one too. Its past is full of stories of smugglers and shipwrecks, and even the infamous pixie-like heiter sprites we looked at in a previous episode. Sea Pauling is also no stranger to storms, and the history of the coastal village is the history of man at the mercy of nature. Even back in 1257, John of Oxneeds, uh, a monk at the nearby monastery of St. Benet, recorded the devastation of a flood that hit Sea Pauling. He writes,
see Pauling became so associated with the vagaries of the stormy waves that the village signpost is topped with a carven image of a lifeboat cresting over a wind-lashed sea. However, the storm of 1953 would be the worst one yet. The tightly-knit community at Sea Pauling were gathered at the large Nissen hut that had been repurposed into a village hall after the war. They weren't sheltering from the storm, though. They may have heard a few reports of bad weather up north, but they weren't alarmed. Instead, it was Saturday night and they played whist and talked amongst themselves. Suddenly the door to the hut slammed open and a gust of wind riffled through the hut, fluttering cards and clothes with a chilly winter breeze. The local vicar ran in and told his flock the last thing he wanted to tell them, and the last thing they would have wanted to hear. Then the long row of sand dunes that separated the beach from the village had been compromised, battered down and cast aside by the wind, the rain and the sea rushing in. The community was scared, but knew what to do. To live with the sea was to live with its ever-present dangers, and the villagers scattered throughout Sea Pauling to warn those who had not been playing whist of the new danger. The word went out, get to higher ground as soon as possible. And so, not just people, but livestock too were shepherded up as far as they could reach. They saved what they could, but so much was still taken. Cottages were swept off their foundations by the incoming sea, adding broken glass and chunks of masonry to the fast-moving tide, turning it into an even deadlier weapon. The cafe, the bakery and finally the pub, known as the Lifeboat Inn, were wrenched away from the earth and pulverised by the seemingly unstoppable tide. Lives were lost, whole families even, and the lucky ones got to sit above the roaring waves and see their community smashed apart. As Saturday night pressed into the gloom of Sunday morning, a hopeful sight finally appeared though. In Sea Pauling and elsewhere, the water levels made a drop a little. This would have been a welcome sight to families who have had to spend the night on the roofs of their houses, watching as buildings, dead livestock, and even the corpses of their neighbours pass beneath them in this new river below that had once been their streets. The dawn light became accentuated by more lights, lanterns coming down from higher ground, held by the farmers who had shepherded their flocks up the modest hills that are scattered around Sea Pauling. These farmers had set up rudimentary rescue stations, which, while thrown together quickly, were at least warm and away from the rain and the sleet that still fell on them. A lot of the villagers were suffering from hypothermia and shock, and the walk through freezing, waist-deep water from their homes to the rescue centre must have seemed like a further calamity, especially as they walked along the remains of the sand dunes to get there, with the fierce, glowering dawn sea in eyesight. Elsewhere along the coast, in places like Galston, Great Yarmouth and King's Lynn, armies of volunteers took to boats and cruised the waterways that were once streets looking for survivors. Once the building had been checked and searched, a large S was etched on the door in chalk. Each town and village set up a public space that functioned as a hospital, a shelter, a police incident room, and most importantly, information centres. With most telephone lines still out, Families reported in person their fears for friends and relatives who were unaccounted for. Local police forces teamed up with yacht clubs and wary boatmen to help reach these isolated cases, sometimes bringing back survivors, sometimes bringing back just bad news. 
Bad news was a staple of Sunday's business. People in Norfolk heard about Canvey Island in Essex, where 58 people had died and thousands more remained cut off from help. Further afield, the lowlands of Holland had been hit by the same storm, and like the flatlands of Norfolk, had seen thousands of acres of land flooded and entire herds of livestock drowned. There would be financial repercussions, as well as physical repercussions, that were felt by the farmers in Norfolk for many years to come. Fighting against the apathy that can often follow a tragedy, a combined force of 30,000 English and American servicemen were put to work rebuilding the sea defences that lined the coast from Lincolnshire to Kent. Their first job was to seal the breaches that had been made, which would allow even a regular high tide to reclaim the land that the storm had stolen. Once this was done, the mission became making sure this couldn't happen ever again. This programme of works eventually included the London Flood Barrier, finished in 1982, as well as strengthening existing sea defences along the Norfolk coast. On a national scale, it also involved the establishment of a national flood warning system, which even now features as part of the daily news. Alexa will tell you about it. Norwich seems to be on a flood warning even during the hot summer we just had, which is a glitch perhaps, or maybe a telling reminder that the sea can reclaim the land quicker than the land can claim the sea, or with more force and impersonal violence than our worst enemies could ever hope to muster. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hallowed Histories with me, Richard Shepard, with research done by Dr. Linda Shepard and technical withdrew by Stephen Leslie Parks. Feel free to write to us at hallowedhistories at gmail.com and don't forget to like, rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on wherever you cast your pod. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.